Welcome back to the diving pod. Just two guys talking about diving. Again, I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Rooney. I'm your other host, Heath Calhoun. Um, you know, we really want to start this second episode out by saying thank you to everybody. The diving community has been amazing in this last week. Um, we truly, when we said it on the last episode, we intended for nobody to listen to this. And it was going to be me and Aaron just talking, diving, having a good time and uh, trying to learn something from the people that would be willing to come on. But the people that have reached out and encouraged us, um, it's just really got us excited seeing the diving community come together around something. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, it's been absolutely overwhelming, uh, to be honest. I was uh, playing a little golf on Thursday and now at a wedding Friday, getting ready to go on vacation tomorrow. And um, my phone's just been like blowing up from past athletes and other coaches and, you know, emails of just people that we have the potential to just talk to, which is unbelievable. So yeah, huge thank you initially, but uh, to be honest, our goals really haven't changed. Uh, we want to essentially treat this like nobody's listening and it's just us hanging out, having a good time and talking about the sport that we love so much. So uh, with all that said, class is in session for today we're going to do a little uh little diving 101 uh, and heath is going to kick it off with uh our, our language it's just the numbers and letters system and how they all uh how they all work yeah no i think that's a great way to describe it it's definitely our language um you know i think maybe diving 101 first and foremost uh you say you know what sport do you do oh i dive uh, not scuba diving uh you yeah. know competitive diving so like the way i would always describe it you know you ever watch the Olympics, people that do all the flips and go in the water and don't make a splash? Well, I don't do the not make a splash part, but I can do some flips. Yeah, um, exactly. So, so yes, I mean, I feel like that's probably a response that a lot of people have heard, but we're going to start really simple, you know, with the language, with just simple stuff like the numbers, you know, the general population that aren't divers have no clue what these are. And let's be honest, even a lot of high school divers in America don't know what the numbers are at first to the point where when you're at a high school meet, at least in Pennsylvania, they say 103 C front one and a half somersaults tuck, um, you know, but if you go to those USA meets or those higher level meets, you're just getting the numbers. So we're going to kind of just start with those. So uh, for the most part, we're going to start with one, you know, if the first number in the sequence of the three digits is a one, that means it's a forward approach um, with a front hurdle, which Rooney will talk about a little bit later. Um, but that means you're going to spin forwards front somersaults. Everybody kind of understands what that might be. Uh, that middle number Unless you're doing uh, front five and a half, right? That would be uh, one, 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 I think. But I think that's or actually flying. flying. <laughs> yeah. Flying, so, yeah. <laughs> in until someone's doing front five and a half, I don't think we have to cross that bridge. But so to make it simple, you know, a 101, that third number is being a one. It goes in increments of half somersaults. So if it's a 101, it's a front approach with a half. So it's a front dive. Um, you know, if it's a 102, it's a front somersault. 103, one and a half. What I try to tell my athletes is just divide that last number in half. Whatever it is, that's how many you do. Um, that seems to work well with my athletes up to this point. Um, you know, that, that can lead us into uh, backs. So backs would be two. So backs are we're going to stand at the end of the diving board. Our back is facing the water, our head, and our eyes are looking back down the board in which we just walked down. Um, that third number is going to be the exact same. Um, as fronts, that's going to be fairly consistent throughout. Um, if it's a one, it's a dive, two is a somersault, three, one and a half, um, so on and so forth, you know, which leads us to three. That's where things get fun. Um, as most coaches know, reverses, they're definitely the, uh, 
the challenge to teach. And if they're not a challenge for you, congratulations, you figured out the secret on uh, and make sure you share that with us. Um, especially at that high school level or those younger kids. I don't know if you struggle with that from time to time, Rooney, but I know I certainly do with my younger kids. Yeah. It's, it's that category that everybody starts to be a little, little more hesitant with, you know, because it's a blind entry and, and you're, you're flipping back towards the board is yep. how they think about it in their mind. And, you know, as we know, the board rides differently than, than, not, you know, throwing yourself back towards the board, but that's that first category where it's like, all right, let's just make sure we're safe and we'll see how this goes. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, uh, Rooney kind of described it pretty well, you know, a reverse, uh, I think maybe the older generation used to call them gainers a little bit more commonly. That's kind of what's stuck in my head. I call them gainers a lot. Um, but reverses for this instance, that's where we're going to be walking towards the end of the board as if it was a front takeoff, but rotating backwards towards the diving board. So uh, again, those ones are pretty scary. That third number is still the same. So it's three O and then your next number dictates how many rotations you're going to do, whether that's one is a dive, two is a somersault, three is one and a half. And that can go all the way up. Um, I think technically to nine, I don't know if anybody's ever competed reverse four and a half at this point in time. I'd love to see it. I'd absolutely <laughs> love it. Yeah. So would I, um, you know, inwards, same deal. So that's four. So four is an inward action, which is going to be, we stand with our back to the water, eyes going down the board in which we just walked down and we're going to spin towards the diving board. So I would say that's probably your second scariest for most kids um, as they start to learn. But I I feel like a lot of people really come to like inwards um, because if you understand the alignment and how to throw your body, things tend to work out pretty well. Just making sure you always remind kids of safety, um, which I think will be a discussion for us here in the future is just some safety habits for coaches Um, and that'll be a great discussion in the future. But, uh, so this is where things will get a little bit interesting with our twisters and then into arm stands. So for twisters, um, there's actually four digits. So the first one is going to be a five. That's always going to indicate twisting. Um, at that point in time, you go to your second number in the sequence, which is going to be a one, two, three, or four. So that is going to be just like our third, um, excuse me, our first number when we only have three. So if it's a five, one, it's a front twister. If it's a five, two, it's a back twister. If it's a five, three reverse twister, five, four inward twister, so on and so forth. So you guys can kind of get an idea of what that looks like. Um, then that second number is going to indicate how many somersaults you're doing. So if you have a five, one, two, that's a front twister. That's going to be one somersault. Um, if that number is three, it's one and a half, four, double, five, two and a half, so on and so forth. Um, this is where things do get confusing. So if you are new to diving and listening to this podcast, please reach out to us, um, to our email, social media. Um, we're happy to talk with people, happy to just get you guys um, to some links that maybe can slow this down a little bit for you as well. Um, now, our fourth number is going to determine how many twists we do. So if you go back to our basics, five indicates twister. One would indicate a front, three would indicate a one and a half. And then if you have a two, that's a full twist. So very similar to the number of rotations for somersaulting, every one is a half. So one is a half twist, two is a full twist, three is a one and a half twist, and four is a double twist, and so on and so forth. Um, It's actually a lot easier if you write this out in front of you. Me going through it just verbally, it can get a little bit confusing, Um, If you write these out and you just take the time to look at it as we explain it, it's really, really easy to understand. 
Um, you just have to just listen and just write it down and, and do some division or just, just listen and you'll be good. Now, this is where uh, I might get these wrong. So for our listeners, if you're a tower diver, I know we have at least one listening to us. Um, if we get this wrong, shoot us an email, shoot us a message, yell at us. But I'm going to try to get this right for you. You have to remember we were division two divers. Um, so we didn't have to play around on those scary towers for some people. Um, so, so we got a uh, 600, 600s indicate arm stands. So your six indicates an arm stand on a tower. Your next number is going to be one, two, three, or a four. It looks like, and that's going to indicate which direction you're going to somersault. So if you are doing a six, one, that means you are doing an arm stand forward action, flipping forwards. Five, two would be backwards. Five, three would be a reverse, which I don't think are as common. I think uh, they used to call those cut throughs. I don't know if uh, too many kids actually see those anymore, but they're really neat. If you take some time to look on YouTube, they're some of the neatest dives you can ever watch, uh, especially if you see them done correctly. Um, so then that third number is going to be the exact same situation. It's going to indicate how many rotations we're doing. So same sequence, same uh, pattern as before. One is a half, two is a somersault, three is one and a half, so on and so forth. Um, now, this is where I, I might mess it up a little bit. And if I do, yell at me. Um, so for twisting, so six indicates an arm stand. One or two indicates front or back. Then you have your somersaults, which is going to be the third number. Two would be a full somersault. Uh, three is one and a half. Four um, is double. Then that last number is going to be the same as our twisting for the fives. So if you have a two, that's a full twist. A four is two twists. A three is one and a half twists. You just divide that last number in half. That's going to give you the amount in which you uh, – you go through and you twist. So I hope I yeah. made that make a little bit of sense for you. What do you think, Aaron? Does that confuse yeah, for I, you? I think you did a pretty good job. One thing I'll mention with the arm stands, because you're starting on your hands and in diving, typically we land on our hands. There's not a whole lot of feet first dives in high school. I deal with a ton of feet first dives. Um, but because you start on your hands for arm stand, you're doing somersaults and you're doing doubles. And you're finishing on your hands because you start on your hands. And that, that is for sure where I get a lot confused uh, when I'm watching Olympics or Olympic trials. I'm like, why are they doing doubles? Oh, that's right. It's, it's an arm stand. They're starting on their hands. That makes more sense. So, right. Um, so that kind of leads us to, to the last part I'm going to go over, which is a little bit more of our language here. Um, and that's just the letters at the end of those numbers. So Typically, when you see a dive sheet or you listen to a diving meet, you know, they might say Aaron Rooney doing dive 105C. Um, that can be an A, a B, a C, or a D. So I'm just going to walk you through what those letters indicate and kind of what corresponds to those. Um, so we'll just go right through the alphabet. So A is always going to indicate a straight dive, um, a straight position. So when we see that, we want to see a straight position, no bend at the hips, legs together, um, and trying to maintain that straight position. So at any point in time, you can draw a line, straight line, um, pretty straightforward. Uh, see what I did there? There you go. <laughs> um, Our listeners cannot see that. <laughs> no. Um, so posi uh, next position is B. That's going to be pike. So that's going to be whenever you see people initiate their somersault and they connect into that somersault and they're folding in half with their legs straight. 
So this is what I think a lot of people correspond with diving. When they think diving, they really are thinking that pike position where people were folding in half. Um, some people fold in half better than others. Uh, some people don't, <laughs> don't fold so well, uh, you know, just flexibility and working on that. But that's what a B is. C is pretty easy tuck. So if you think of C, it's rounded. Um, that's where you're getting into as tight of a ball as you possibly can. Um, and at that point, that's where you're going to see a lot of rotations happening. Um, that's how a lot of people tend to learn dives first. I think, um, I know that's how I learned dives first was doing front dive, tuck, uh, tuck jumps, things like that. And then, uh, D that gets us to our most interesting one by far. That's going to be the free position, which, um, you're going to see that most commonly pretty much always on twisters. So the free position is, is really unique because it says free, but some dives actually aren't allowed to be done free. Um, so that's kind of where I want to hand it off to you, uh, Rooney, because I know you have a little bit more of a judging background and maybe you can talk about that, kind of go through some of those common mistakes people make when it comes to those terms. Yeah. Um, the big thing, and I'll, I'll get into the judging part of it a little bit later. Um, what I was going to talk about are just some terms, whether it's like slang terms that we use or things that coaches yell out on the side of the pool deck. Uh, that was going to be my next assignment there, but I'll come back to those twisting dives because you're exactly right. You know, if somebody does a, a back one and a half, half on one meter, it's done in tuck or, you know, kind of open pike type of thing on the bottom. Um, you know, high school, I see a whole bunch of front one and a half full twists done in tuck, but that is not what you want to be seeing anyway. So, um, but no, to go over a little bit of diving terms, the diving boards made out of aluminum. Um, it's just a, a flexible piece of uh, aluminum and then at the very end of it there's a portion called the cheese and it, it just kind of looks like a, a cheese grater I guess at the end of the board and um, I don't know if it's just for airflow to go through the end of the board but the board is also tapered on the other on the bottom side um, there, there's a fulcrum kind of in the center and, and I'll talk about that in a little bit but from that center fulcrum it's it's you know, a decent thickness, maybe two inches thick. And then out towards the end of the board, it's maybe about half an inch or an inch thick. So it tapers up from the bottom side, but the top side you're walking on is perfectly flat. Um, so the fulcrum that I mentioned earlier, uh, this is where you set your board. And um, if you're looking top down at the diving board, there's numbers on the side uh, all the way from one to nine. If you put your board fulcrum number at one, it's going to be very tight. Um, not so similar to the ground as, as tight as that goes, but it doesn't have a lot of bounce. Whereas if you put the fulcrum all the way back on nine, you'll hear a term that people use all the time, wait for the board, ride the board. And what that means is the board is so bouncy and it bends so far that your body movements naturally are faster than what the board is telling you, you can do. So, um, you know, when I'm coaching my kids, I would love to see them throw it back on nine as, as much as they possibly can. But when you're first learning, I mean, to, to wait for the board properly is really, really difficult. Um, so that's sometimes I'll just say, guys, put it on six and we'll adjust it from there as the as the talent level varies. Um, another term here is a hurdle or knee drive. Um, when you're doing your hurdle. It, by rule, there can be no less than three steps in a hurdle. And essentially, you're, you have one leg that goes up in the air and your knee is nice and high. 
and your other leg is on the board, pushing the board down and that push down and knee drive up. That's what's giving you your height. Um, there's a couple of different ways to do our hurdle this day and age. Uh, the old school way is basically you keep all your feet on the ground at all times and you have a really powerful last step. Uh, and then this kind of new age, I don't know if it's patented as the Texas hop, but that's how I have, have learned to, to, uh, to describe it. Um, but you take steps going out to the end of the board and then your, your, your last step, you essentially jump into your hurdle drive. So you jump onto one foot, you drive that knee up with the other leg, and then you have to land back on two feet before you go off the board. Uh, a couple other terms here. I use the words side profile a lot. That's just the position that you want to leave the board from, whether you're doing front, inward, back, reverse. I like to see a nice straight body position, not bent over going forward or not leaning back into the board on a reverse. Um, the throw is the, the part of the dive that starts it. That's where you start your rotation. A lot of times you're still on the board, just initiating that throw. And then when you leave, that's when the throw is kind of finalized. Um, words that we use all the time are like top and bottom. The top of the dive is, is the start. The bottom of the dive is the entry. Um, a couple other terms, uh, split tuck is a, is a big one, especially for Olympians or, kind of the upper upper level when you're in a tuck position you're in a ball as tight as you possibly can a split tuck is when you let your you're, you're pulling in so hard that you're splitting your legs out um i tell my divers and this is a judging this is a judging thing that i talk about a little bit more later but if your knees are in your armpits i don't care um if they're a little bit apart you don't have to be in a perfect ball, but this is again, just a personal preference. But what gets me is when your toes are not together in a tuck. If, if you're splitting your legs out and your heels are hanging way out outside your body, that's when I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's not pretty to look at. I'm not going to give you all the points you deserve there. But, um, a crimp is also a term and that's related to your pike. Most commonly, these really flexible good divers, they're in a full pike where they're essentially hugging their legs and where their arms are, are right under their knees, under the back of their knees. So a lot of times when you're flipping really fast, you pull in tighter and your knees ever so slightly bend, but because your toes are together, it still looks like your knees are fairly straight. It's tough to see, especially when they're flipping really, really fast. Uh, but that's a, a term that you'll hear every once in a while. Spotting is a big thing, yeah. whether you're doing um, well for me, spotting is a little bit easier on backs and reverses, whether you're spotting the diving board coming around or you're spotting the water. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's something that you look for a visual cue to when to kick out of your dive. That's another one, a kick out. Um, you need to know where you're at. You need your eyes need to be open and you need to kick out of a dive at a proper time. Otherwise, uh, smack smacks hurt. Um, <laughs> another one we use as coaches is call out. Uh, when, when we're in practice or we're in, uh, meet warmup, if you're not necessarily totally confident or you just want that little backup of, all right, I think I know where I'm at, but I just want you there just in case, um, somebody will get up and, and they'll be in the air and their coach will yell, Hup! And then that's where you kick out and, and finish the dive. 
Uh, there's actually a video game on the phone that I, I played a ton. I was really uncomfortable calling people out when I was first coaching. And uh, I played the game Dive Champ. I'm sure you've played or have at least heard of it. And I mean, it's really fun to like max your diver out. But then once I got like halfway decent at the game, all I'm doing is like, all right, how am I going to learn how to call people out at the proper time? <laughs> so I just play that game and I'd figure out, oh, it's, it's, it's when their feet are parallel, you know, from 10 meter or whatever it was. <laughs> so that was actually really helpful. Um, a rip, a rip is another diving term. That's just when you hit the entry and there's no splash, it makes the greatest sound in the world. People always have a favorite smell, a favorite sound that is by far my favorite sound. It's just a, just a, everybody knows it. It's just a right on the bottom of the water. Um, you know, in terms like vertical on shorter over, that just has to do with the entry. Uh, I know the clarion crew, they use land in the V they just would hold up their hands in a, in a V motion. And this is your range. You, you don't want to land over that, or you don't want to land short of this. Um, typical divers. I always tell my, uh, my athletes before summer, I said, you know, you need to work on getting flexibility in your shoulders. You need to get flexibility in your hamstrings for, you know, your pikes, but then also having really strong core abs and chest, and then really strong legs to just be able to jump high and ride the board. Again, there's another term there, ride the board. Um, oscillations are when you do a back press, you're bouncing the board with your ankles. And a lot of times you don't even want to go too crazy with them. And you're just letting the board bounce so that you can catch that bounce and swing and use your arms and jump as high as you can. Along with the back press comes a crow hop. And that's again, after you're doing your oscillations and you're ready to circle your arms, jump, your feet ever so slightly leave the board. And these are becoming more and more common everywhere I go. Um, in a high school perspective, a high school setting, I really, really frown upon those just because of a safety thing. Um, I've seen a couple of times where people will crow hop backwards and then they just scrape their shins on the board. I've seen a couple of really, really nasty injuries doing that. So at least in my, on my team, I really tell them, you know, keep your feet on the board, but yeah. in the college setting and in the international setting, it's, it's a lot more common. And when I'm judging a big meet like that, it doesn't bother me as much, as long as I know if it's safe, if, if I'm going to take off points, which I will, it will be because it is unsafe. If you're jumping back and I can see your toes move back ever so slightly, you know, you're probably going to get a half to, to, you know, maybe a full point off just because it made me a little nervous that you can slip yeah. off the end of the board. Um, one of the, the most common terms is a balk and a balk similar to a baseball pitcher, uh, a balk in diving is when you start and then you stop whether you're doing a, a forward approach and you start your approach and you're doing your first couple of steps and then you just stop and turn around or you get all the way to the end of the board and you're off balance. And the only way to save yourself from falling in off the board is you stop. Uh, that's called a balk. And we'll talk about deductions later, but you take off two points per judge score for a balk. Uh, you can balk on back presses as well. It's a little more rare. A lot of times that kids, what I've noticed is if people are off balance rather yeah. than balk, they'll just try to find that balance and they're rocking back and yeah. forth and you're watching it and you're like, Oh my gosh, is it going to happen? Is it going to make it? <laughs> and then they'll just kind of send it. But, um, 
Yeah, I guess that's a good spot to kind of hand it back off when we talk about deductions. Uh, Heath is going to talk about some uh, some score calculating. Yeah, so um, so m- most common uh, when you go to high school meets, college dual meets, you can see two, three, five, or seven judges. I actually think in some meets you even get up to nine judges. Um, but so we're just going to start with the lower numbers and we're going to work our way up. So the most common is three judges. Um, now for you to understand what these judges are doing, um, you're going to, we're going to go through a little bit of that later, but the most important thing here is each judge is going to score on a half point scale from zero to 10. Um, they don't get to consult with each other. It is, they are making an individual observation, assessing the dive, and then they are going to go from there. So like I said, zero to 10 half point increments. So just for, uh, for conversation's sake, we're going to say all three judges are giving a five. So those three are going to add up to 15 points total. You just add those three scores up. Now, this is where we're going to kind of refer back to what we did earlier with the numbers and the letters. So a 105B would be a front somersault action because you get that one. The five is going to indicate two and a half, and the B is going to indicate in the pike position. So the degree of difficulty for that dive is 2.6. On one meter. On one meter. Yes. Thank you, Rooney. Um, so for, to make it easier for our listeners, if they're inexperienced is going to be probably, uh, I believe back one and a half tuck is actually a 2.0 on one. Yep. So just to make it easier for our listeners, if you do a 203 C, which is back somersaults, one and a half somersaults tuck, because it's that C position. So the degree of difficulty is a 2.0. Every dive is assigned an individual degree of difficulty. It's just a math equation based on how many somersaults you're doing, the twists you're doing. They're all different, but there is a way to calculate that out. Um, so you would add those three scores of 15. Then you multiply it by the degree of difficulty. So in this instance, with a back somersault, one and a half, or back one and a half somersaults, tuck, you get 2.0, 15 times two is 30 points. So that dive will actually score 30 points. This can get really confusing if you're new to the sport, watching the Olympics for the first time, and you see somebody doing front four and a half tuck, and I think it's I think that's a 3.9. I could be wrong on that off the top of my head. I think it's a 3.9. And you see them get 102 points, and it's like, how the heck did that happen? The judges' scores only added up to 30, you know, um, or whatever that would be. So now let's kind of go to where it gets a little bit more confusing. So we're going to go to five and seven before we go back to two. So what you would get at bigger meets is you want more judges because it's going to give you a better array of scores and you're going to actually get the most averaged out scores for the athletes um, to just give a little bit more unbiased because as you get to upper levels, sometimes you can see um, coaches judging meets, which is really common at the high or excuse me, at the college level um, and also at the USA uh, level as well in America. So you want to try to remove those biases. Maybe one judge really has it out for an athlete, which I think is really uncommon in our sport. I could be wrong. I, I feel confident that other coaches would vehemently disagree with that. And they're like, that coach just has it out for my kids. Um, I think at the end of the day, our community wants to see good diving and they award that. But so if you get five judges, you're always going to take each individual score and eliminate the highest score and the lowest score. So if say you have three judges give fives, one judge gives a four, one judge gives a six, you're going to throw out that six, throw out that four. You're going to keep those five in the middle to get the average on seven. You're just going to do the exact same thing, except you have, you're going to eliminate the too high and the too low. So pretty straightforward. I think that's easy to understand. 
Where it can get a little tricky is uh, if you have two judges, which is common in high school every now and then, but more common in college. Um, I know throughout most of my college tenure, um, we had two judges just because you're having a dual meet one team versus another. The swimming officials are down on the swimming end, making sure no one's DQing, doing the proper strokes. So a lot of the times it's the college coaches. So what happens there is you just are going to do that same thing. So let's say you get two fives. You're going to multiply those two fives. So that's 10 times 1.5. That's going to give you the average of if there was a third judge. This can lead to getting a total instead of by half point increments, you can then get quarter point increments. So if you had a five and a five and a half, that third judge would average out to be five and a quarter or 5.25. Um, so I would tell you more often than not, that actually favors the athlete. Um, as a coach, I'm always going to do what's more in favor of the athlete. So for instance, if someone gives you a, a seven and someone gives you a seven and a half, Maybe that third judge would have gave you a seven and a half, maybe a six and a half. Maybe they would have give you an eight, but at least you're going to get seven and 7.25. Um, so that kind of, that kind of leads us into, you know, I kind of talked a little bit about high school and college formats. Um, I know Rooney, you're a little bit more comfortable and uh, uh, familiar with the high school format. You know, what is a, what's a high school meet look like in America? What's a high school meet, uh, whether it's a championship or a dual meet look like? Yep. And you're right on it. The, the one big thing to remember with the judging is you always only keep three judges scores. Yeah, absolutely. So if there's five or seven or two, you keep three judges scores and then you add those to multiply by the DD. Um, yeah. So high school uh, format, we just have two different ones. There's a six dive format and an 11 dive format. Those are the championship style meets for six dives. You have to do one voluntary and five optionals and the difference is the degree of difficulty typically your voluntaries are the lower degree of difficulty and typically the optionals are higher um you know they're they're a little bit harder uh each week there is an assigned weekly voluntary dive and the order is you know week one you do forwards week two you do backs they're a little bit easier to learn right away uh, week three, you do inwards, which is category number four. And then again, same thing, a little bit easier to learn. And then week four, you do category five, which is twisters. Typically twisters are done either back or forward for the beginners. Uh, and then the last week, week five is reverses or category number three. And then it just kind of starts back over uh, that, that cycle that uh, after week five, week six would then be forwards again. Um, I created a rule on my team just to be a little bit more well-rounded and, you know, just get them ready for the championship meets a little bit better. And my rule, I said, the, the, the actual, oh, let me go back. The actual high school rule says that once you do your weekly voluntary requirement, the next five dives have to cover four categories. Right. So what we had, what I had seen is if you're really good at forwards and you're really good at backs, you would do two forwards, two backs, and you'd get to skip reverses. So the rule that I created, I said, the week of the voluntary, that's the only category you're allowed to do two of. And awesome. so what that forces my team to do is every single week, you have to do at least one of every single category. And, um, it, it has worked out tremendously well just being ready to compete at championship style meets because you have to do two of everything. Keith, you had something to say. 
Yeah. So I, it's more of a question for you. Is that something when you first started coaching in high school, you came in and made that role or is that something you took the time to notice and kind of saw kids were steering away from those categories and then you made this role? Well, it was a little combination of both. Uh, when I took the, I took a year between college and high school, as I mentioned on the last pod for coaching, I was paying attention to the team pretty closely. And I noticed exactly that everybody was skipping reverses. And I was like, well, when they get to a championship meet, they're, uh, they're in for a rude awakening because they're going to have to throw two of them and they're not going to know how to do it. So I just created that day one when I came in and they were not happy with it. They were not thrilled. It was funny. (laughs) I typed it up on a little supplemental rule that we get and I made it look legit. And, uh, (laughs) they, I read it to them and they were like, Oh my gosh, we actually have to do this now. And it, it ended up working really well that first year. Um, I had a girl make state and, it was only because I made her do reverse one and a half all year. And she put that as her last dive and she awesome. nailed it to make it by like four points. It was crazy. Um, but moving on to an 11 dive format, it's a little bit different. Uh, you have to do, there, there's three kind of sets of dives. In the first set, there's five dives and you have to do two voluntaries. In the second set, there's three dives uh, and you have to do two voluntaries again. And then in the last set, there's also three more dives, but you only have to do one voluntary. Now, the two, two, one voluntaries, that adds up to five total, which covers right. every single category. So you have to do one of each of the voluntaries, and you're only allowed to have a degree of difficulty of 9.0 or less. Right. So uh, if you're doing the math at home, you're having an 11 dive meet, and you're doing one voluntary of every category, what are the other um what are the other six dives? Well, that's where you get, uh, you can do one of every category in the optional department, and then you get an extra one. That's called your triple up. That's the, that's the category you get to do three of. A lot of times people will do forwards if they can do, you know, three decent ones or inwards. If you have a lot of, uh, if you can, you know, pull off an inward double or inward, uh, two and a half, but twisters are probably the most common triple up just because there's so many options. You can twist forward, back, reverse, inward if you yep. got it. Um, so the strategy piece from me, there's there's kind of three ways to do it. Really only two, but I do a little hybrid for my team. Um, you can front load the list. And what that means is you're going to put all your best dives at the start so that when the cuts are made, I, I should have mentioned that after the first five dives, typically you cut to 20. And then after the next three dives, you cut to 16. And those last three dives are done with your 16 finalists. So again, the reason we front load a list is to make sure you don't miss any cuts and you make finals. And um, that's a really good way to do it. A lot of people do that at our state meet. You can also back load the list. If you're one of the top tier divers and you know you can do some of your easy dives and still make all the cuts, you can save some of those really high degree of difficulty ones for later. And then, you know, potentially make a run at the championship. What I do on my team, I kind of have a, like I said, a little hybrid approach and that's just for these kids that I have. Um, We're working with some athleticism, but not, Oh my gosh, these kids are going to the Olympics. So what I do is I have, you know, five comfortable dives in the beginning that I, that we're all confident with. Um, and we make sure we save a little bit for the end. Maybe one of their best or highest degree of difficulty will go in the end. But we really attack that middle three because you have to do two voluntaries in the middle three. But again, right. if you think back to what I said earlier, 
the only limit on the voluntaries is the 9.0 maximum degree of difficulty. So I'll manipulate a list a little bit and maybe you're back one and a half, we make that a vol. And so you have a big vol in the middle that's 2.0, whereas some people will throw inward dive for 1.4 or 1.5 and, and immediately yep. you're at a huge advantage. So a lot of times I do that just because, you know, I want to have a, a list that yes, we'll, we'll be confident we make finals, but also we want to, to have, we want to have some opportunities to move up the scoreboard if we need that in the middle three, which is, which is pretty critical for our high school state meet. And it's worked out pretty well the last couple of years. Awesome. Um, one last note on high school, you can be a high school All-American. The certification is you have to score 375 points on an 11 dive meet, and you have to have a video submission. What they do with that is they take these videos in, they rescore the meet, and then they essentially have a top 100. And those are your high school All-Americans that year, both for the girls and the boys. So Heath, you want to talk about a college meet format? That'd be awesome. And then I'll get into some judging. Yeah. Um, you know, the college meets fairly similar to, uh, to your high school setup, your dual meet setup. So that's the six dives. Um, you know, I have a unique experience kind of similar to yourself where, you know, I did dive division one for a couple meets before I decided to transfer dove division two. And then I got to experience coaching at the division three level. And, um, you know, how you do those meets is very different, uh, depending on which division you're in one, two or three. So I think it's important to start at division one. Cause I think that's where a lot of people, um, are used to watching. That's probably the skill level. They're more used to watching if they're watching the Olympics. So, uh, in college, you're going to do six dives. Um, you have to cover one from each category. So that's one through five, if you're on springboard. And then I believe one through six, if you're on uh, tower. So you have to do that arm stand. Um, so, but we're going to just stick to springboard for right now. Um, that's more my wheelhouse. Um, we'll try to get you guys a tower coach on here and a tower diver and talk a little bit more in depth about that in the future but you have to cover one through five. So that covers five of your six dives. So that sixth dive is actually going to be a double up. So meaning you can do one from another category, um, very similar to what Rooney was saying. A lot of times that ends up being a twister um, and inward. If you have a big dive there, another front, um, something you're really comfortable with that, you know, you can do well. Um, you know, I know there is discussions. I don't even know if you knew this Rooney. I don't think we've talked about this. I do believe there has been some rule proposals that there is some interest in making women only do five dives at the division one level. Um, I don't 100% know the logic. Um, I think uh, our women are pretty awesome. And I think a lot of times, I mean, there's plenty of female division one, two and three divers that would have kicked my butt. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's I think... a lot that would have crushed <laughs> me. Yes. So, so um, you know, I know our, our women in America are definitely capable of doing six dives and doing them really, really well. Um, so I would be really curious to have a coach on or someone in that rules discussion that can maybe explain that to me and help me understand why that's a discussion. I know um, at the FINA level, the Olympic level, that the women do only do five dives. Um, I don't know the logic for that. I'd be very curious if that's just a tradition that they've always done. Um, so in that instance, if you're only competing five, you're just doing one from each category. Um, so then you get to division two, which is more similarly set up to division one, uh, more often than not, you're competing your six dive meet. Um, the biggest difference is going to be in division one. They're just doing optionals, meaning they're doing their hard dives. They do six of them. Um, you know, they do that at their dual meets. They do that at your mid season invitationals. They're doing that at, um, 
your zone meets, which are what will qualify you on to nationals. And then they do that at nationals at the division two level. It's kind of a hybrid where you're going to see a lot of kids will qualify on six, but they also do 11 dives during the, the year. Um, you know, and that's a little bit easier to qualify on 11 dives than six, six, is a little bit more challenging. That scores a little bit higher. Um, and it's set up the exact same way as high school, except you're going to do all those voluntaries. I believe in division two, it's on the front end. Um, I think when we were in school it was actually on the back end. So meaning yeah. you would do your six optionals first and you would do your five voluntaries afterwards, which is a yes. little bit different. Um, at the division three level, we're typically doing them in the front end. Um, yep. So at division two, you get your score in the regular season, you qualify on to nationals. Um, you know, Rooney kind of referenced it, that black Tuesday meet, which is called a pre-qualification meet, which I don't know how a lot of division two coaches feel about. Uh, it's a little stressful, I think for the athletes, but you have to be in the top so many in order to qualify for nationals once you're there. And that's a six dive, um, same setup as a dual meet, except for the women, there's usually like 50 girls, I think 40, 50 girls for the men, I think usually between 25 and 30. Um, and then once you make the meet, you're going to compete in an 11 dive meet, uh, again. So, um, division three is more similar to that, except they have a zone meet, um, throughout their season. So you're really going to see a big mix, but once you get to the collegiate level, you're doing a lot of optionals. Um, I think those really great coaches in the country do still spend time on their voluntaries and on the basics because they know that those are the building blocks. Um, and I know I've been guilty of that at times where maybe I'm rushing to try to get, you know, dives for an 11 dive meet at our mid season meet when we've only been diving six weeks, but you know, I've learned as I've grown as a coach, like take your time. I'd rather teach it the correct way one time, make sure it's safe. And then I don't have to worry about it after that. Um, so I think that that's what we're seeing at the college level. Um, again, it's more common to have two judges at the collegiate level for dual meets. Um, but that's basically the setup we have there. Um, you know, Rooney, I know you judge at, at NC two A's and you're pretty involved in judging at the high school level as well. You know, if you want to run us through that and then we'll kind of talk about how we coach towards the judges, uh, both of us afterwards. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I'll go through the judging pretty quick. This is a little bit of a boring subject, uh, but I sure get a kick out of it. There's five areas that we look at, uh, the approach, the hurdle, the takeoff, the flight, and then the entry. Um, these dives are all judged on, like he said, a scale from one to 10. And if anything sticks out to us in any part of that process, that five-step process, we can deduct points. Um, again, if you're not doing at least three steps in a hurdle, if you're taking too many oscillations, um, you know, if, you, if you're leaning off the end of the board, if you're halfway across the pool, if you're too close, you're going to take your head off. All those things um, in the specific flight, we talked about a split tuck or a crimped pike. Um, all of those, again, you know, the entry is, is a big one. And, and a lot of people are, are guilty of only judging the entry, as Keith alluded to earlier, where, you know, there's five steps to that dive. Yes, the entry is what you see last, but there's more than just the entry. I, I was in a competition uh, with, with a guy who, Again, he was not the prettiest diver, but man, could he, he put some hands on the dive. He could rip everything. He, he could be short. He could be over. He was ripping everything and he was beating us like so bad. And, and you know, as a diver, that was a little frustrating because you know, the middle or the top of his dive was not that great, but the entry was so phenomenal. And that's what you see last where it's like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's getting seven and a half and everything, but 
Um, I, I really do try to take a holistic approach to finding uh, the, the best divers, even if that means they're not the cleanest divers. Um, by, by the rule book, it says a 10 is excellent. They assign words to all of these. Um, eight and a half to nine and a half is very good. Seven to eight is good. Five to six and a half is satisfactory. Two and a half to four and a half is deficient. One half to two is unsatisfactory. And then a zero is completely failed. There have been times where, especially with twisters, um, the ref will make the call, score it or fail dive. And sometimes when they say score it, I am not afraid to throw a zero. If I saw from my perspective, the, the, the diver over or under twisted really badly, I will throw a zero and, you know, we might get a little dirty look here and there or ask to explain, Hey, what did I miss? Um, but there's always a reason I, I, I like to say that, you know, it's, there are no bad scores if you can justify it. If you can say, hey, I took a lot of points off for this. And, you know, if you can justify and you can talk about why you gave the score you did, you didn't give a wrong score. I've been very high on some dives. I've been very low on some dives. A lot of times I am one of the lower ones, especially when it comes to twisters. Um, I, uh, I, that's that's kind of one of my, one of my prejudices. I was looking up you know, things to be aware of. And it said, be aware of what you like to watch. And naturally I'm drawn to long legs and, you know, tight ripped entries. That's how I dove. So I like seeing that. Uh, um, but the big thing is technique. I'm a big technique type, um, judge. And if everything is absolutely rock solid, even if you miss the entry, I don't have a problem giving you an eight. Um, the big one for me again is being square on twisters. If I yeah. see you're leaving the board and you're dipping your shoulder and you're already twisting before you're even throwing, there's no way unless you get really lucky that you can be square on the bottom if you're not square on the top. So I'm watching both. I'm watching the top. Okay. How is the twist? How are they initiating that twist? And I'm watching the bottom. Are they rounding the corner? Are they fishtailing everywhere on the bottom and I can see two legs. That's what I tell my athletes. They say, Hey, if I, if, if you're twisting and you're going in the water, I want to see one leg. And the other one is just right behind it in a perfect line. Um, so I, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm a pretty big stickler on, on twisters specifically. Um, just making sure everybody's in the proper position. Um, I do have a couple of things pulled up. There are some mandatory deductions, um, give a half to two points for not stopping your oscillating before you start. So you get out to the end of the board and the board's bouncing. If you just start oscillating, that's, you know, you get a mandatory half to two point deduction in high school. You're only allowed four oscillations on the back of the board. If you do more than that, again, we start taking off points, uh, feet or foot leaving the board prior to back or inward takeoff. That's our crow hop. We can take off a half to two points. Uh, entering the water on the side of the board. A lot of times this is inwards. Uh, yeah. Inwards, you're, you're flipping your head towards the board. And it's a little scary sometimes. You don't, again, you don't want to eat the board. You want to take your face off. So people will jump to the side. We can see that. And we take off points accordingly. You know, if somebody does it perfect right, right in front of the board, they deserve to get more points than the guy who went in between the two one meters. Um, Twisting manifestly from the board, that's just leading into your twist. Um, 
Again, two-point deduction for violations of the forward approach or a BOC, that's per judge score. Unsatisfactory, this is a lot of times a judge's call. The head referee will tell you that dive was unsatisfactory. The max you can give is a two. So that happens when a dive is clearly done in the wrong position, whether it's announced tuck and you do pike or the opposite. Uh, a diver hits the board. This is a high school rule. College is a little bit different. Uh, diver does not attempt to come out of the tuck or pike. This happens a lot with front double. If people are just learning front double for the first time, they'll go in in a cannonball. And yes, you landed on your feet. Good job. But you didn't try to come out. So we can't give you more than two. Um, a die. Oh, let's see. They don't hold the straight position horizontal on flying somersaults. Yeah, flying's pretty rare these days. We don't see a whole lot of those. Completely failed dive, getting a zero, executing the wrong dive. It's very, very common. This actually happened at nationals for my buddy Tyler. The dive announced was 51-32, which is a forward one and a half full twist. Okay. Pay attention to the numbers because what he did was 52-31. That's a back one and a half with a half twist. It's a wrong dive. It's a failed dive. It's a bummer. It happens all the time. Either the yeah. coach writes the wrong list yeah. or the diver wrote the wrong list. If they're writing their own list, I don't let my kids do that. I have a little bit of a control thing there. I always write my kids list. So I know they're not going to fail something like that for a silly thing. Um, not assuming a starting position, falling into the water, being assisted by another person. All of these are zeros. Um, do not enter the water with head or hands above their head on an arms first dive or below, let's see, or feet first dive. Uh, executing a twist determined by the shoulders position more than 90 degrees uh, before you leave the end of the board, as well as when you enter the water. Uh, if you repeat a dive, do the same one over again. That's a fail. Uh, let's see if there's any other ones here. If you commit two box on the same dive, it's a failed dive. Uh, in a dual meet for high school, if you don't do the voluntary first, it's a failed dive. Uh, let's see here. If you perform a dive that's not listed on the diving table, I've yet to see this, but uh, I think one of those that was an interesting one was a forward one and a half with one and a half twists. Oh yeah. That's, that's not a listed dive. And I think I saw it once I scratched my head like, Hey, that was really cool. But that, no, that's, that's not, that's not what you want to be doing. So there's a whole bunch of things that we as judges look for. We, we know these um, specifically the differences between high school and college. There's a couple, if you hit the board in college, it's still judges discretion, whether it was safe or not. A lot of times we'll catch a heel on the board or a toe and it's, it's really, honestly, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, whereas if you hit their head, I mean, that's clearly different. Um, the other big part is the twisting for high school. It's where the first body part hits the water. And so if you don't have control and you're twisting into the water, as you're going down, it takes a really keen eye to recognize, all right, when they hit the water, where was the twist? Right. Whereas in college, if I'm being honest, I think it's a little easier to spot is where the last part, part of the body enters the water. So again, if you're twisting while you're going in, you can clearly see that. And in college, it's a little bit easier to spot if you went too far over or didn't make the twist fully. Um, so yeah, coach, or, uh, if you want to get started talking about, you know, coaching based on those judging criterias, 
that'd be helpful as well. Yeah. You know, um, something that you had mentioned that really just kind of like threw me back. So, uh, one of the former coaches, we mentioned him before Don Lees, which I did a little bit of research over the week. Um, just trying to find stuff out. Fun fact for you, uh, Rooney is he actually started his career at St. Cloud. No way. Yeah. Coached one year at St. Cloud, uh, came to Clarion, you know, really well-respected coach. Unfortunately, um, he's no longer with us, but I was really lucky in my coaching career. I want to say it was like year two or three. Um, we went up to Clarion for a, for a dual meet. Um, you know, my kids got their butts kicked. I think at that point in time, Rovet had like two national champions on the team and, but it was great for my kids. And, and the coolest part selfishly for me was I got to judge a meet with Don Lee's. So, you know, here nice. I am starstruck kid. I'm like, Holy cow. Like this was the first coach at Clarion that started that tradition that I was fortunate to be able to be a part of. And uh, he said something to me that I'll never forget. Someone went sideways and I think I gave it like a, maybe a six. And it was like a dive that was worth seven or something. And he gave it like a three or a four. And I was like, Oh, why so low? And he's like, listen, he goes, they jump sideways clearly. Right. And I'm like, yes. And he was like in golf, if you hit a putt and you miss three, four feet to the side, is that a good putt? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> de- depends how bad at golf you are for me. That'd be pretty darn good. But, um, he's like, no, that's bad. The goal is to go in the hole. And I'm like, right. He goes, if you're on beam in gymnastics and you miss four feet to the left or right, that's bad. Right. And I'm like, yeah, he goes, it's bad in diving too. And I'm like, ah, like, so I'm with you. I'm a big stickler for over twisting, but big time on sideways. And, and that's something that I, I get mean looks all the time at meets and, uh, and I'm like, listen, you can't go sideways. But, um, you know, I think when we talk about coaching based on the judging, you know, I'm fortunate that the officials that judge our meets, uh, they really talked with me and, and I'm, I'm very lucky. Our swimming officials have taken a lot of time and they've talked to me and they say, you know, what do you see here? Why did you give it this score? And so they've, they've really be, I respect them as judges. I think a lot of times the diving coaches say, uh, it's swimming officials stay on your end. We'll stay on our end. And it's, Hey, like, technically they can score like that's their job and and why not help them learn the sport a little bit better so if you're ever in a pinch and you need a judge there you go um you know but the nice thing is is i know what their tendencies are you know i know we have officials in my previous conference um when i coached westminster college that they judge entries you know i knew if this 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 judge was on the panel i'm like grab your hands focus on that entry Um, And, you know, I think a lot of coaches might say, hey, don't do that, you know, still teach the whole dive, which I would still coach the whole dive. I still want to see them have a great takeoff, have a great body position in the air, finish the dive high. But I'm definitely if I know this judge is going to give an eight, if you smoke a lineup or if you put your hands on and you rip the dive, like you mentioned earlier, I'm going to encourage them. Do not forget to grab your hands. Do not forget to squeeze tight on that entry. Um, You know, in the same regard, I also know what they're going to hit you for. My college divers know I am. I am first person to admit I'm a tough judge. They know I'm going to be the hardest person on them. Numerous times I have given my divers zeros. We've been at a conference meet and one of my divers is doing double twisting one and a half. And I come around and I see their legs at 90 degrees when they enter the water. I see six fives or sixes on the scoreboard. And then they see a zero on the scoreboard and I'm getting mean looks from opposing teams. Coaches are like, why'd you fail? And I'm like, cause it was a failed dive more than 90 degrees when entering the water, um, you know, so luckily I think me being a tough judge has lent itself very well to my athletes being successful and focusing on those little things. You know, you and I are similar in that regard. Like it's step one before you go to step two, it's step two before you go to step three. And because of that, and because they know how I'm going to judge them, I think I notice divers that make slightly less of those small mistakes that I see with someone who maybe rushes along and it's like, Hey, we're just focusing on entries and spinning and, 
then I, you got to do the basics, right? If you can't do the basics, right, you can't do the difficult things correctly. You know, and we see that you see that with these upper tier divers and these upper tier coaches, they focus on the basics. You come in and you do drills, you do drill work, no matter if you're at Indiana or if you're at Westminster college, those couldn't be complete opposite ends of the spectrum or Alexandria high school, you know, where you coach, you're focusing on those basics too. We're dealing with different talent levels and different skill, but you know, we still have to teach them those basics. Like at the end of the day, you're a coach, you're an educator. And so I think it's, it's knowing your audience. I think when you're, when you're coaching two judges, um, you know, if I know that certain meets, that's what they're focusing on. That's how I'm going to coach the athletes to try to put them in the best chance to be successful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I do, uh, I do the same thing here. Um, the, a lot of times for my high school athletes, uh, I, I don't have the amount of time that, yeah. you know, a club pro program might have. And so, you know, we, we work with what we got a little bit more and, and I'm always reminding them same kind of thing, grab your hands, make sure you hit that entry. That's the last thing we see. And I, I tell them, I say, you know, not everybody has the judging experience that I do. So I might be the lowest one, but if you smoke inward one and a half, you might get a seven and a half from somebody else just because they, they ignored the fact that you didn't get your arms all the way up. You know, a good entry can hide a lot of uh, deficiencies in the dive, but I always remind my kids, you know, this is how I judge. This is what I want to see. Do it like that. Um, that kind of leads to, uh, to one of our, our mottos for the Alexandria <laughs> high school. Team. Uh, we, I'd started this two years ago and, it, it all kind of started as a joke, but it's really taken off and I love it. Um, when we work all year and we, we grind all year and we think about our diving all year and there's a million things to think about, whether it's where are your arms in your hurdle when they swing, where is your head position, your hips, your toes, are you squeezing tight? There's so much to remember that when we get to a big meet, I always look at them and I say, hey, we already did the work, right? We already know what we're doing. I just want you to push play in your brain and, and go through and just, just go for it. And so the term I came up with was dive dumb. And essentially what it is, is turn your brain off and listen to your coach and just go. We've already done the thinking. Yeah. Dive dumb and get out there and go for it. And, uh, you know, we walk into the pool, we got our dive dumb hoodies on and everybody's like, Oh, what's that? What's that? That's, that's kind of cool. And it's turned into this, this thing that actually is, you know, I just, I did it for my high school kids. And now it's like, Oh, this is, this is kind of cool. Everybody's kind of adopting that same thing where when you get to a championship meet, you can get so in your head and, and nervous where my kids just go out there and they're like, cool. Like we feel good. We're ready to go. Let's just see what happens. So that's awesome. No, I think, you know, we talked about that before and it's, as you get closer to these meets, you see these kids and it's, you know, especially at the high school level, I think when you get to college, you definitely still see it. No doubt about it. I feel sure every coach deals with it, but that mental side of diving is, I feel most coaches would probably say it's more important than anything physical. Um, you know, with my counseling background, that's hundred percent how I feel, you know, I'm always trying to find different ways to talk to kids, different ways to ask questions, but you see it when we get to meets, you know, you have those athletes that they show up to meets and they're just having fun. They're diving dumb and they're just on fire. And it's like, what the heck? And then you also have those kids that they want to be in a corner by themselves and listen to their music. And one's not right. And one's not wrong. 
it's just what's right for you and what's wrong for you. You know, like I'll use myself as an example. You know, I had always, I, I told you in the first episode, I just love diving. I love competing. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, I might not be good at it, but I'm going to compete, you know? And I think the thing that always stuck with me was um, my sophomore year in high school. I, uh, I, I can't remember what I was seated. I made States. It was a big deal for me. I'm like, Oh man, I made States. Like, this is awesome. I was like, let's go have a good time. And, uh, you know, I go into my last dive. And at that point in time, I was competing front triple, like a complete weirdo, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like complete weirdo, like doing front triple. That was my 11th dive. That was like my money dive to end on, which I don't think anyone does. And, uh, my coach, Ken Bedford, you know, we're walking up and, and he was good. He, you know, he would give me my my critique, one or two things to focus on, go do your thing, whatever you got to do between that time frame of when you go. And uh, I needed to hit this dive for, it had to be like 50 some points to get to medal. You know, it was like the difference between ninth and fifth. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like I got it coach. And I went up and, and I had this big crappy grin on my face. Like I stole something and I knew I was going to get caught. And I just looked at him. I gave him this big thumbs up. And, uh, and the other coaches that were sitting by him are like, how are you dealing with this? He's like, not good. Like, I don't know who <laughs> is like this before front triple in. And, you know, I like you say dive dumb and I'm like, that's all I did my entire career, you know, but that's what worked for me. If I ever tried to take it too serious, it didn't go well. You know, like I went up there on that front triple. I was laughing, joking around. I drilled it. I ended up getting like fifth and I'm like, huh, like, okay, cool. Like, this is great. But, you know, there were instances that I would show up for meets and I would try to take it serious and I do have like garbage. And my coach would look at me and he's like, listen, you dive your best when you're at practice screwing or, or at meets when you're competitive, but you're screwing around having fun. Like be you, like I'm not someone to take something uber serious. Like I'm always going to crack a joke, probably when it's not the correct time and try to have a good time. <laughs> and I think that's why you and I get along so well. Cause we're sitting at meets and it's like, we're top eight in the country at this point in time. And it's like, Oh, Heath, you got full out next Aaron, you got back two and a half. Are you ready? And it's like, yeah, we'll figure it out when we're there. And I think like, that's, that's why we got along so well. And I think it's like, that's why that dive dumb moniker really like hits home with me. Like I, I get that. I feel that, you know, we talk about that on our team. Like, it's like, just turn your brain off. All the hard work is done. You get to those big meets. You did all the prep it's done. Now you just got to do what you did. Give me one, you know, coach, uh, coach Rovat. He used to always call, um, he would look at kids and say, oh, I'm saving that one for nationals. And he would literally go like, um, for those of you that can't see, uh, like he would literally reach in the air, grab an invisible thing. And he would physically put his hand in his pocket and he'd be like, I'll give it back to you at nationals. Nice. And, you would be, and you would be on the board at nationals and he would put his hand in his pocket and just kind of throw it back to you. And it's like, you knew what that was. And it's like, all right, I got it. And, and it meant yeah. a lot, you know, like, but you have to have that relationship with your coach. And, and that's what I think you and I were very fortunate to have, you know? So um, I guess it's sure. time to break into our, uh, our signature questions. Yes, sir. So, so, so each, why don't you tell the listeners what it is? Yeah, each week, each time we interview it, somebody, each of us has one signature question that we're always going to ask that guest, and we just think these are good ones. They're they're not necessarily easy, and they're they're, you know, for lack of a better term, they're not the cookie cutter questions. So mine, I'm gonna let you answer it first, Heath. <laughs> is what is your favorite failure? Yeah. Um. You know, that's a hard one for me. I've, I've known you're going to ask me this question for two weeks now. And, and I think I've changed my mind on what it is, even since we've been talking, um, you know, I've never been someone to look at things like they're failures. I just learned, look at it. You know, my, my parents taught me like, 
it's just a chance to learn. So, you know, I think like my biggest failure probably had to be, you know, we referenced it in the last episode, losing to Luke, my, my uh, junior year, you know, I lost and, and I, I probably say like, he dove great, but it's like, man, if I would have hit that, that double out, you know, front two and a half with two twists, like I, pro- I probably would have pulled it off, but I didn't do a good dive. You know, it was an average dive at best, um, you know, and like that sucked, you know, but something I'll never forget is I remember coming up, the first person I saw was my coach and he's like, ah, you just, you didn't do enough. And it's like, that's something I really appreciated was that honesty in that moment. I think a lot of coaches can, can go on the side of making excuses and be like, oh, you got robbed. And it's like, you know, that's something coach Robat never did. And I will always be grateful for that. He's like, he beat you. You know, you didn't win. Like I view it as like, I lost, but Luke won, you know, he did great changing, doing inward three and a half. I don't know how many division two divers had done it at that point in time. Um, but I look back at that and like, you know, most people would view that as failure. You know, I didn't win. I got second, but a lot of people would be like, man, you got second in the country. That's, that's an amazing accomplishment. And I was so grateful for that. But I look back and that, that 4.9, you know, I said it about last, like that just ate away at my head in all the right ways. Like every time I was at the pool, I had a a giant piece of paper stuck in the back of my locker 4.9. And like, I was like, okay, like, let's go. And that made me work so hard my senior year. And it's something that, that I almost always remember, like that 4.9 doesn't mean I lost. It means, you know, move that decimal, like Luke said, beat someone by 49 points, like always work hard. Um, you know, throw that question back to you. What, what do you think, Rooney? What, what's your biggest failure? Yeah, my, uh, I used to say all the time in high school, if you're, if you're in diving specifically, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. Um, and so one of, one of my favorite ones was uh, right right after freshman year of college, we were on the trampoline, just messing around. And the guys were learning a Cody. And if you don't know, <laughs> you, you, you land on your stomach and then you do a back flip, you know, backwards. And then you land back on your stomach. So it's just a flip, but it's just, it's kind of awkward. Don't try so, it. Don't try it at home. Yeah, No, please do not try it. And here's why. Um, I flipped up and I'm in my tuck and <laughs> For whatever reason, I was spinning very slow, but my diving brain kicked in while I was on the trampoline. And so when you're in the air flailing and diving, you can reach your head back and find the water. It's no big deal. You just land a little funky and it doesn't hurt. It's just the water. Well, I tipped my head back as far as I could and essentially was trying to finish the rotation and my face hit the trampoline mat and my feet also hit the trampoline mat over my head. So I did a full on scorpion and I had two herniated discs and I was in just a horrible situation with my back. I was injured for the entire year. Um, and it was just one of those situations that never got better. And I remember sophomore year coming back from, from, uh, summer break and it still was bothering me and it was not in a good situation. And I did rehab and I went to therapy and all this fun stuff. And, uh, the, the, the doctor told me, he said, you're not diving this year at nationals. I was like, well, yes, I am. And what I ended up doing is I created a schedule of my workouts every single day. And I would go to the pool and I would do my therapy. And as uh, conference, I hadn't competed yet. So I hadn't qualified for nationals yet. Right. As conference meet was approaching and our last dive, you know, this is going on for six months of rehab. I finally, you know, was to the point where I could get back on the board and do voluntaries. And then, you know, each day I had a tiny, tiny little step up 
I only practiced my 11 dive list one time before conference. And I ended up uh, at conference and I, you know, I, I scored really way better than anybody would have expected with zero practice. And I, I qualified for nationals and not only did I go on to nationals, but I, I did better than my freshman year. So it was just, again, one of those stupid things that I was doing on the trampoline that I shouldn't have done. And because of it, I learned how to work really hard and I learned how to plan and I learned, you know, just about myself that like, even when somebody says, no, this isn't going to happen, you know, you can put your head down and you can do everything you need to do. And sometimes it does work out and uh, you, you get that reward at the end of it. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, so I guess that leads me to my question. I really struggle with this because I, I don't want to ask a basic question, but I think it's like important. Um, the question I would be really curious about your answer and then whoever we get to interview moving forward is what was your best piece of advice you've ever been given and or given to somebody? Yeah, I got to go back to freshman year again on this one. My coach at the time was Tracy Torgerson uh, at St. Cloud State. And I, again, my whole career, I was a pretty diver. So I did one and a half on one meter and I would smoke them. And she pulled me aside at one practice and she said, Aaron, I got to be totally straight with you. You don't have the degree of difficulty to make it to nationals. You need to pump your dives up. She said, if you think about the top eight guys in the nation, every single one of them does two and a half on one meter. And I wasn't even close to that. I could right. not do any two and a half other than forward. And we had just learned pike. So, you know, that was a big step for me. And that was just it. Again, it was brutally honest. She just said, you know, you're, you're, you're just not there if that's where you want to be. So, you know, you put the hard work hat on and you figure it out. And eventually, you know, I got, I got reverse two and a half. We dabbled with inward two and a half. I actually competed back two and a half a lot, which is weird because I, I think that's probably the hardest of the three of them. Yeah, for sure. But uh, it was, again, it was just the brutal honesty of, hey, you may have been pretty good in high school, but you're not that great. And if you want to be where, where you say you want, we got to step up pretty, pretty aggressively. So again, throw it right back to you. What do you think? Yeah. Um, that's a tough one. You know, like I look at it and I, I, I don't think at the time I would have viewed it as like great advice, but you know, your parents always give you great advice. You just don't want to listen because they're your parents. And, um, and I know my mom and dad gave me this advice before, but I didn't listen to it until uh, my sophomore year. So um, like I said, in the first episode, you know, I was a very much a B's and C's get degrees type person. And um, I think my, my sophomore year, second semester, I think I maybe had a 2.0. Like I was just, I showed up to class, did okay. And it was like borderline. Okay. It was, bad. And, um, you know, I was academically eligible. I was on pace to graduate on time and I'll never forget, you know, I sat down with coach Rovat at the end of the year and he's like, what's your goal by the time you graduate? I'm like, I want to win a national championship. You know, I want to win that big meet always getting second, always getting third, whatever. I want to win that big meet. And he's like, all right, it starts with getting good grades. And I'm like, okay. I was like, I'll do whatever you tell me. If you tell me I do this, it'll get me where I need to go. I'll do it. Um, you know, he could have said run through a wall and I would have died trying, but I would have figured it out. Um, you know, but I know that for me, the first thing he said, he's like, you need to take 50% of your work ethic that you put towards athletics and put it into your grades. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do that. And so the next semester, I think I'd like went from a two Oh to like a three, six, like just, and it was harder classes. They were in my major. And I'm like, 
what the heck is going on? And he's like, you're just doing what I asked. You know, you're not, you don't have to go above and beyond. You just have to try. And, and you know, I know my parents told me that all through my life. And I'm just like, sports, like that was my life, <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, and then it went to like a three, eight. And then my senior year is four Oh four Oh, I ended up getting my master's with like a three, nine or something crazy. And I look back and I'm like, man, like, he's so right. Like you just, you have to take that work ethic wherever you work the hardest and put it into everything you do. And I think that's why it's led me to, to finally like finding this thing I love and diving and helping kids learn this same thing. I mean, you know, I feel sure you are a way better student than me, but so many 18 to 22 year old young men and women, they just like, don't know how to do that when they get there, they get so much freedom when they get to college. And it's like, Hey, like, remember your coach is there to educate you and teach you and get you to graduate in four years and go to the real world. And you need to know how to work hard. Like you can make up for a lot of talent deficiencies or knowledge deficiencies. If you're just willing to work hard, like I think you and I like really embody that a lot. Like we, we are not the most talented divers. Like you and I would never claim to be the most talented divers, but I think we worked really freaking hard to get where we were. And I think we're still like doing that in our coaching and our judging in our careers. And, and that's why it's exciting. And I think that's kind of what sticks with me is like, just work hard, just take that work ethic we had in athletics and that competitiveness and put it towards everything. And, and those meant a lot, you know? So, um, you know, I know this, this one was a little bit long winded and I know maybe a lot of people might not make it all the way through the questions, but why don't you uh, go over what we're going to talk about next week and, um, and anything else, but awesome. Yep. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. So, uh, so next week we're going to do a little uh, like Olympic trials um, pre podcast type of thing. We have Olympic trials starting on, I believe it's June 6th. Um, so we're just like people to watch out for what we're excited to watch. You know, there's a, the, the men's single event three meter. I, there are some names that I am so excited to watch. And so we'll just talk about that. Um, but yeah, other than that, we have some, crazy crazy awesome guests coming on uh coaches and and things like that the again the support has been huge the last couple of days so feel free to reach out to us twitter instagram even our our email address all of those are at the diving pod um you know the diving pod at gmail.com and then you know on twitter instagram at the diving pod so we love to hear from anybody, but we're going to continue to pretend like nobody's listening just so we get to talk <laughs> diving once a week and uh, just kind of mess around from there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I know next, next week we'll be able to announce our first guest. Um, we're finalizing the plans to get some guests on here for you guys. And uh, as soon as we can tell you, I think everybody is going to be really excited. Um, it, it will be, this will be the most boring one you guys listen to maybe have For your sure. swim coach, maybe have your swim coaches listen to this one. Maybe that's a good piece of advice. They can listen to it, learn a little bit about diving and, uh, maybe it'll make that relationship a little bit better. If you don't have a great relationship with your swim coach. There you go. Awesome. All right. Well, that's a good time to wrap it up and, um, hopefully we'll see you next week. Bye.